Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So the latter part of the Easter season is like a seed that's kind of broken out of the ground. I mean, you know it's there, but there's growth and good news that comes with that seed that's broken out. A new conviction came from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We notice this today with Stephen, a deacon in Acts. He'd be the first to die confessing Christ after Pentecost. St. Peter also encourages that emphasis of conviction later to the suffering church. As God's chosen people by grace in Christ, he said that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Of course, the gospel text takes us back to the conviction of our Lord on the night before his crucifixion. Jesus did not need Easter. We do. God's son already promised on that night that everything of his sacrifice would be for his disciples' benefit. You would think in our day, when there's so much flimsiness and kind of overall denial of truth, that people would be less convicted about things. They're less loyal many times. But conviction seems to be just the opposite. Conviction has turned to the desires of each person's heart. It rests on what they have determined to be the best. And so they're convicted as if it's the only truth. You see, a customization of life fit for me is kind of what's going on. And this certainly includes spiritual matters. C.F.W. Walther, as you know, the one who came over from Germany and was a big part of the founding of our church body, already saw this in America in the later 1800s, that kind of conviction. He wrote, it's not the conviction that natural reason provides about what is good and evil that will allow a person to stand before God. But the conviction that God himself gives by his Holy Spirit. So in other words, conviction won't be found within ourselves. It has to come from a God who is convicted to save sinners. Instead of many convicted spirits out there, the Holy Spirit, by the word, works to show us the Son and trust in the Father. Only through Christ will any be turned to finally wear true joy will be found. And so permanence by Jesus dwells in the Father's house. Many changes were coming that night, as you know. What the disciples had yet to experience was still very troubling for them to hear. They were called by Jesus' word to believe. And not merely in God, which is fine and all, but finally he said, in him. He promised that what would come about by his death and resurrection was preparing many rooms. 
Now, rooms can be translated this way, dwelling places, which is to emphasize a permanence about what God has made. It stresses what that is in the Father's house, not our homes, not this life, not how we want to see things go. Typically, though, we think of the heavenly resting place, right? That's the natural thing we gravitate towards, but there's a bit, a little bit more here, but that's not a wrong thing totally. The resting place, of course, that we think about is when St. Paul proclaims something like in 1 Corinthians, for we know that if the tent that's our earthly home is destroyed, that's our body, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So yeah, when a person dies, they go to heaven and hell. When a person dies, they rest in Jesus, or they're not resting much at all. You don't even know if they have much bed or sleep in, in hell. But the big thing here is while this is true, and that promise comes to Christian funerals as a great comfort that we're joined with the saints in heaven as with the saints on earth, there is more to the Father's house than rooms purely we're waiting to enter after we die. There's a lot more than that, my friends. The permanence Jesus is addressing before his great sacrifice belongs to the accommodations he was making in him for us. Since the temple, as you know, was called God's house too, right? The father, by sending his son, made a true house in the flesh of Jesus Christ. Him preparing many rooms belonged to the inclusive place of his sacrifice in himself for all. A professor from St. Louis Seminary has a great paraphrase to these verses we heard today to what Jesus is saying. He writes this paraphrase. Remember, that's not what the scriptures are saying word for word, but kind of like what they're kind of getting at. The paraphrase writes, And me, the new temple, there are many rooms of safety and blessing. I am going to the cross to prepare a place for you, Jesus says, and on Easter... I will come again and receive you to myself so that from then on, where I, wherever I am, there you will also in me be, that is, in the house of my Father. So eternal life as a distant place turns to how God worked by baptism, forgiveness, and defeat of death by housing us in his Son. You already have it in Jesus. You just don't fully experience it right now, but you are housed in great life because Jesus lives, conquering death. St. Paul can boast this kind of a reality. You know, Paul, the one you heard today who kind of was killing Christians and, you know, Stephen's cloaks were, the cloaks that stoned Stephen were put at little Saul's feet. Well, Paul can write this later about his own sufferings. He can boast whether we live or whether we die. He doesn't say we get to go to heaven. He says whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. We are in Jesus. We're accommodated by God's grace and kept safe in him. And yet we face on earth the problem that dwells in our hearts. That's the kind of what the gospel text is getting at. This became evident with Thomas and Philip. 
When they hear all that Jesus was talking about, all that God had in store the way of the cross, there was troubled hearts, and they were not believing God and believing in Jesus. Thomas brought out his stressful misgivings. Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. Philip had a little bit more polite demand to make. He said, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be good enough for us. Both were in denial over what Jesus spoke. They wanted to know how God, know God on their terms, and they were frankly lost in their hearts, their sinful hearts. What dwells in our natural hearts is no better. We're cut from the same cloth of the flesh of Adam and Eve. Looking then to the convictions of sinful humanity, first off, is utter foolishness. St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, what kind of spirit this is. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts. So looking to the world is not going to give you comfort. It will not give you the peace to rest in Jesus. In the church, we're made alert, as the writer from Hebrews says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So the church was having its own struggles with trusting in Jesus, not just denying God like the culture or the world, but more in the fact is how close Jesus comes, but we're just, we don't trust in that full confidence of what that really means. That's what Hebrews is saying. Don't get up on the living God because he's living towards you and for you. As baptized saints, that sinner within, and we all know what that means. Lutherans talk about that language of saint and sinner, right? And that sinner within dislikes grace as a gift to pursue convictions built on works, the sadness of our sin, and yes, in the end, our own selfishness. Like Thomas and Philip, questions and demands leave us lost to hearts that are helpless apart from Christ. That's why babies are a great witness in baptism. They're the most helpless, and yet they're the ones who know how to receive and keep trusting that mom and dad, first off, will do what they need to all for the babies, but even more so, a great witness to us that God is for us, who can be against us. And this God, of course, is finally Jesus, who has given us his great sacrifice. How much promise from the Father dwells in the Son for our great joy. And so the disciples, of course, we know, would witness. That's the whole point of Easter. They would witness what Jesus told them after his sacrifice as the way, the truth, and the life, the victory of humanity has been housed in God's Son. So as humanity tries to make a utopian world, tries to find its way to have its own comforts, you're never going to have it. Man will never build it, will never find peace in it. It's kindly come in one man, who is the Lord, and in him all joy is housed for us. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father, not simply because of his relationship of being the Son, 
but because of what Jesus has done to conquer Satan by the cross, to defeat death by his death, and to save sinners by truly being the Savior in all situations. Jesus can do this. Troubled disciples were turned to God after the resurrection. How could that be? Not merely because Jesus rose from the dead, but because of what he already said. Christ promised, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. There was nothing of his life, of Jesus' life, be it in word or deed, when the Father was apart from his Son. This is better than any preacher, apostle, or or prophet. This is Jesus. When he says, you've seen me, or when I work with you, it's literally my Father who's working with you, all by grace. Atheism today, much of what I'm I'm more more, aware of in my generation, is frankly a dismal outlook on life. And for the millennials, spirituality today is many ways more like going to a buffet, a Chinese buffet or something. It's just a spirituality of fads of the flesh. They kind of flutter around here and there with stuff. But St. John replies in his first epistle, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. There is no other access to forgiveness, but in Christ, God's for you has made many rooms. It is to be at home with Jesus by his holy word and sacrament, for eternal life is yours. And we take him into our homes. We invite him gladly to bring that joy that we join together as the body of Christ, but it goes out into the world. Not our commitments or worthiness make this so, but how the Father has housed his glory in the grace we do receive from his Son. God comes with a conviction. That is the whole confession of the Christian church. God is convicted, not us. Jesus is convicted, not the disciples, to forgive save and assure life. And so as Lutherans, we kind of just say it this way, Christ for you. You can say that to anybody in these days, right? Whatever troubles, you can look at him and say, Christ is for you, given and shed for you. Of course, it doesn't make us feel all that strength on our part, but that's because it's, it's about faith in Christ alone. There's even fruitfulness now at work that dwells from a conviction in Christ alone. So as God comes convicted, he convicts us. Our Lord said, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Now, first off, it's not surpassing Christ, for his work was a once-in-time sacrifice, and it's ever being praised. With angels and archangels, it cannot be, no person can supersede that, all right? Instead, 
troubled hearts that trust Christ, God has turned, though, to be useful before your life. You don't even have to see it. We believe it because Jesus has said it. And how we want to look at it may be a little different than what he means by great works. Here's what I mean. In many ways, greatness today is the ordinary ways that would uphold the good of life. The good is simply, first off, knowing what's good. And good that at last rests on what God has made known by his word and where that greatness rests is in Jesus. So in other words, God does great works when moms raise their kids and dads do what dads should do. Not merely because of the natural instincts that should be there, because this is what the Father does for us as his children. This is what Jesus does as he takes care of his bride, the church. But it's not going to be all that glorious. It doesn't need to be. But it's great to God as we live in faith to Jesus. It's just like being a disciple of Christ. It's not because the church service is going to make us feel so much better that the world's just going to change. It's the opposite. The world has changed. And so what we receive from Christ goes into the world, a joy that the world will never give. And it goes to work in our lives. In the end, any fruitfulness dwells from serving under Christ. And why in the upper room, Jesus said that wonderful thing to ask anything in his name. Do you pray for our church daily? I pray you pray for me. I pray for you. I pray that more than just the praying, we do it in Jesus' name and that kind of a confidence. Do we pray for the people who don't come to church, who should be in our church, on our directory? It pains me when I pray those names. I don't know those people, and some of you don't even know them either. But the most important thing is that we do it in Jesus' name because God is faithful. And we trust in what he does. Jesus prayed for all people on the cross. So before the many convictions of this world, don't be fooled. There is the claim of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in the word and this word directs us to be fixed on the gospel. Peter did not put himself before the church, but set the church on God's promise. Did you get that today? He quoted the Old Testament. Behold, God says, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's comfort for parents. That's comfort for your whole life. That should bring you joy. Because it's finally on Jesus that all things that we can do will not fail. Only through Christ will any true joys be found to love what God commands and to trust what he promises. What does he promise for you? Forgiveness. He promises you already that you are in him and you have eternal life. He promises you're already accommodated. So don't be afraid. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. We rise and continue at this time with the offertory in the hymnal on page 192.